One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And welcome to Get the Table, another wrestling roundtable discussion podcast with myself, Adam Wilborn, and one of the Dadley boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture Here, to discuss another burning wrestling issue. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT, pay-per-views. We have interviews, four roundtable discussions like this one, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick. And, sir, we are gathered here to... Oh, we are socially distanced here today for now to talk about fallout from blood and guts. Uh, it's a few days on from when we uh, watched this show and, and reviewed it, of course. How are you feeling looking back now, Sidge? I mean, it's a little bit similar to Revolution, in which, yes, the discourse and the underwhelming visual of that last last shot has undermined what was an absolutely incredible match but it's less severe than the revolution thing they can actually sell it as something that has put chris jericho on the shelf that's the most important thing look you can go back and watch that match and people will it was amazing um in the intended spirit in which it was worked it's not like the revolution thing at all where there's an awful cloud that has just completely ruined the whole thing um, yeah, they can and they should get away with selling it. They don't have to do any kind of get out. It's still a frightening thing that Chris Jericho took. It was protected. The way in which it was filmed was obviously the worst part of it, the only bad part of it. In fact, um, they could and should have done it differently. They didn't, but there's no need for some kind of hilarious 69 May Don pivot. Mm. No need whatsoever. Um, what they can do, you could have. There was no angle at which to capture the explosion at Revolution and sell it as something that it wasn't. There was mm. no choice but to redraft the storylines, essentially. Moxie was meant to be out for longer. They've had to pivot. They've had to not sell it at all. We'll get away with selling this. Absolutely, they will. They can, I mean, there's fan cam footage out there. They can edit highlights of the, of the match, of the post-match and the angle at the finish. Um, there's all sorts they can do without completely pivoting and ruining the angle. So ultimately, when time goes by over the next week or two, it will all be absolutely fine. Like people have suggested that MGF needs to cut some kind of promo in which he brags about scaring Jericho without hurting him. No, that would have sucked to have taken. It just looked mm. like it didn't, which is anti-wrestling in a way. But the prevailing opinion is, ah, it's a shame, but the match was still great. The prevailing opinion at Revolution was, 
oh, the match was great and the post-match was such a disaster that it's obscured everything. So again, as I said on the review yesterday, which of course you can check out wherever you get your podcasts from, that weirdly enough, Revolution has acted as a somewhat generous curve in mm. retrospect. So they have, for the second time, following 69 Me Don <laughs> and the amateurish way in which this angle was filmed, they've benefited from disaster. Speaking of benefiting from disaster, oh no, no that's a bit harsh. Uh, I just want to talk about the fact that Dynamite hit number one in the ratings. Uh, you know, didn't exactly do the, the number we expected in terms of the like 1.2s, 1.3, still did over a million viewers, but arguably more importantly than all that, yeah, number one in the crucial demos. Uh, first time they've done that, I believe. That's what Alvarez tweeted. An incredible achievement and a, and a hopeful sign of more things to come. Yes, absolutely. Um, we are guilty on this podcast of going for overall viewership when the networks themselves aren't too bothered about the number, but the big sexy numbers, aren't they? Mm. Like the big, like the 0.44. People don't know what that means. It's better. No. To, big picture. It's big picture. And the sexy numbers, maybe people expected a sexier number, but there's no sexier number than number one. Um, big achievement. As I put it on Twitter yesterday, it is in the age of content, an actual elusive victory for long-term storytelling. It was so like great in that respect because like it feels like WWE can get away with murder. Um, maybe you could make the argument that they have done so literally in the past, but in terms of the actual content of friggin' Monday Night Raw, how it gets to number one and how they make its solo effort. It's actually zero effort. Zero effort is unkind, right? Because with something like even the Fiend program, as ridiculous as it was with Randy Orton, as preposterous as it was, they did build a storyline. Yes, They had a plan for the destination, which hilariously was changed on the day, but that brings me to another point momentarily they try to tell a story there so as bad as raw is it's not quite sometimes it is but it's not always and not quite oh whatever on the week of the show we'll just do that mm. like more often than not that's what it is <laughs> and it just turns into something else at the pay-per-views but odd times they will try and build something and whenever they do that even when they do that they just change it at the last minute ah bray wyatt i mean can you can we make you convincingly look like a pre-adolescent girl to get weirdos to watch our show. No, that's a stretch, but there's a short blonde girl we can do that with. Fantastic. Fantastic. Non-spate, accomplished, achievement unlocked. Um, so yes, they did. They've essentially just went, oh, we've got, well, the spooky character's better if it's the girl, says Kevin Dunn. So yeah, even when they do long-term storytelling in WWE, and they kind of did with The Fiend versus Randy Orton, awful as it was, they'll rip it up to shreds at the last minute on the whims of Vince McMahon. And it was just nice that it just, it's been so difficult in a way, writing and covering pro wrestling, because you can basically say, all right, okay, well, nothing matters. What WWE has done, and think of the poor content producer here, Wilborn, hmm. is they've eliminated so many easily listicles, easy listicles that you can pump out, 10 wrestlers who should get a push. How are you meant to write that about WWE? Well, they should, but they're not going to. So what's the point? Mm. 10 dream matches WWE could do. Well, they're not dream matches because even though the roster is immensely talented, no one comes off as a star. 
So you can't write 10 dream matches. You can't do 10 wrestlers who should get a push. You can't write positive articles about WWE. You can't... Like 10 wrestlers WWE should sign next. Well, none of them, because I like them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want them yeah. to sign... I know they're with ROH at the minute, but I wouldn't want them to sign a Danhausen or a Tony Deppin or... <laughs> they would never, but, you know, a Nick Gage. Like, they would all just get killed. Mm. They'd all just get killed. So you can't write... What I'm arriving at in a roundabout way is that for the longest time, it's felt like nothing matters, which is just so hard to write about, to reconcile. And that victory over virtually, well, literally everything that a like cable TV promoted last night means that this long-term storyline, which has honestly been brewing since November 2019 mm-hmm. with that first interaction between MGF and Chris Jericho, the parallels they drew almost in secret um, in the months after before this actual association became canon after I believe it was all out 2020 and from there they've built and built and built this twisting saga um, where you didn't know the direction you didn't know the motivations, you didn't know whether they liked each other, it's sort of been realized in comedy segments in the most brutal of brawls and just some absolutely world-class promos a really underrated chess match in my opinion at full gear um which told through physicality like the whole story this intellectual battle between mjf and chris jericho and it all climaxed for now in blood and guts and it got to number one it just felt like my god actual effort and art has triumphed over content. And it just feels like that can't not be a good thing. That absolutely can't not be a good thing. It just basically means that if you put in the work, you can still get rewarded. We're not in for this horrific dystopian wrestling future where just any content matters. Any content matters. Doesn't matter. You'll get a tribalist fan base. WWE's long since established it. And I'm not being funny, but like some AEW fans are horrific as well. Um, the the horrifying thought was with enough of a base established and with content being king and the Peacock deal just making that even more glaring that all of these darks, all of these dark elevations, what they're doing is quietly building this content library to the point where if they've got a base like satisfied enough with AEW and so indoctrinated to love AEW that they can take the foot off the gas and not put the work in and because there are people who like WWE now who liked it when it was good and because it's been such a part of their lives and they associate it with like an extension of their personalities that they are in fact rejecting themselves by saying that WWE is bad. Never want to get AEW in that position, even though they've got the base that probably would start to think of things like that. All of it philosophical this, but legitimately AEW isn't that promotion it must feel at times for them like, Jesus Christ, no one's picking up these story beats. Everyone's overreacting to the worst goddamn white noise you'll ever read on Twitter. It must feel at times like, well, what we're doing this for? Mm. Like we are getting pelted in our replies on Twitter. We are getting pelted in the replies on Instagram. There's such an insta-take culture that no one's willing to see the big picture. There are people arguing against us in bad faith. Like, what are we doing this for? Mm. Like, it just feels like there's no reward for all the painstaking amount of detail and work that they craft into these storylines. So it just, for a group of wrestlers that are so talented and so driven to, like, create 
week to week intrigue and escapism for us all. It's felt like precious reward that, you know what, this approach is actually measurably working. Let's continue it. Let's be the pro wrestling company that caters to the intelligent fan. Yeah, despite what people may say on social media, we are impartial here at What Culture. Um, yeah, I know you're a fan. It's of just that. one company's good and one company's bad. Yeah, Simple exactly. as that. But if, if you are a fan of AEW, I you people really don't do this more, and I feel like they should in in all walks of life. Enjoy the moments when you've been successful. Like this weekend, you can sit there and say the number one. They did over a million, which was always the the, the stick that got. AEW got beat with initially. Well, you're not doing a million. Well, hang on, where's this number come from? And they got to number one in the demos. Uh, you know, what you know, not yeah, they weren't up against a presidential address or anything this week, but they're still up against all the usual stuff that you would associate with with challenging them in those rankings. And what can people say now? Oh, Blood and Guts didn't do 1.5, he didn't do what Raw and SmackDown does. Well, it never promised to do that. So just enjoy <laughs> the fact he's been so successful this week, I'd say. Well, the, the benchmark a month ago was, <laughs> can't do a million. This mythical million that TNT aren't interested in. They would rather have 700 winning in the demo than 1 million in being sort of in overall viewership and being 20 in the demo. That's the absolute reality. So 1 million was always this mutant-made figure. Now they've passed it. It's not good enough. It's just white noise. It's absolute bad faith white noise. Here's the big misinterpretation just while we're opening up this debate before we focus in on the actual fallout of blood and guts. People misinterpret me, and I think people misinterpret a lot of people all of the time. For me, it's not AEW versus WWE. It absolutely isn't that for me. It would be much better for my professional life and for my prospects and for my enjoyment of the things that I choose to do to do this job in my personal time. It would be better if WWE was good. It really (laughs) would be. Um, for me, it's not AEW versus WWE. It's art that actually rewards me versus content that insults me. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that at this point in time, and it wasn't always the case, even in 2015, WWE was so rewarding to watch on NXT. For me, it's rewarding art versus insulting content. And it just so happens that AEW is doing rewarding art right now and WWE is doing insulting content. So when we celebrate or, oh, that's good for them, when they get a million, that means that it's not because I'm a tribalist who is just dead set on AEW. Christ almighty, I've been burying the Miro push for like eight months at this point before it actually got good. Hmm. It's a use of my time versus a waste of my time. It's basically what it is. There's no tribalism here whatsoever. So let's look into what's next following Blood and Guts. So let's start with the man who was victorious, MJF, and the rest of the pinnacle, uh, who, to a man, I thought gave a great account of themselves. It, it particularly deserves credit. Someone like Sean Spears, who we, you know, understandably slightly dismissed in the bill, but I thought he was he was a revelation on uh, on Wednesday night. And, and what's next for him? FTR, Wardlow, and MJF. What's next for the pinnacle? Just a note on Sean Spears because he absolutely deserves his flowers. That's what they're calling it these days, these kids. I'm 35. I shouldn't be saying things like that. (laughs) Absolutely not. Not only did he perform that incredible Spanish fly rope to rope spot, which is amazing. Not only did he take the risk of the Van Terminator, which again, because people were so goddamn focused on getting the takes in on the frigging discourse of the fall, like, I mean, I'm doing it, so I'm going to put myself over. But nobody else is really like trying to analyze and talk up or 
rip apart spots. It's all about takes and moments. Him doing that Van Goddamn Terminator paid off the original pinnacle attack. Mm-hmm. The baby face comeback spot. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Hardly anyone's talked about it because social media and pro wrestling discourse is a total swamp. Not only did Spears pull off amazing feats of athleticism, not only did he take like potentially really dangerous moves, but he cut an incredibly aggressive, hateful figure that was willing to do horrible things to his opponents on the night. He did so much to create that tone of animosity. And I feel like it's such a shame that the discourse is what it is because people should be talking about a revelatory performance from Sean Spears, in my opinion. As for what he specifically does next, I do not know. The problem with having this heel stable now, and it won't be a problem because this heel stable is, I I would expect at least two years of slow pushing all the way to the top and then dominance within that two-year time frame, is that looking at the complexion, the wider complexion of Dynamite, which is always key because they're not just going to turn around and say, oh, the Pinnacle are really hot. Let's put the titles on them. It's just not how these things work. It's looking like there is going to be a heel TNT champion in Miro next week. If there isn't, I'll be very, very interested in how they can reheat Miro because they've botched him and they've done a great job of doing that recently. I'm basically expecting a title switch to be imminent is what I'm saying. Kenny Omega... I expect him to be holding that title throughout the summer, and he's also a heel. Yeah. The Young Bucks are also heels as champions. So what you've got now is a group in the pinnacle who, by their name alone, are a top act. MGF was established even more so as a top act by taking Chris Jericho's spot. A stable like that should be to tether all of this to the point of meaning, looking for championships. And then I know AEW isn't so binary and, oh, it's all heels versus baby faces, but to get the best out of the programs, that's more often than not the way to go. Yeah. So the, so the question is now, who months from now is going to be the baby faces that take those titles? Because Baker is going to be a heel as well. And that is when the pinnacle, in my opinion, will pick off those divisions one by one. So whoever beats whichever babyface team beats the Bucks, FTR, that's when I think they're getting their run. Whichever babyface beats Miro for the TNT, provided Miro wins it, that's when a Wardlow or a yeah. Spears can do it. And looking at the direction, I'm thinking MGF wins that world title at full gear. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think Omega will successfully defend it at double or nothing. All Out is the site of Hangman Page's two biggest career crises across 2019 and 2020. It's the perfect show on which to tell his redemption story. MGF is the perfect heel to take the title from Hangman Page like almost as soon as he wins it. Because a chase like that is so good that it's going to be all the more heartbreaking when an MGF does it. And obviously, Page might still be associated with the Dark Order. He might be associated also with Christian Cage at this point. There's loads of ways he can do things like that. What I'm getting at, realistically, is that there's an entire summer of things that the pinnacle are going to have to do to preoccupy that stable before the big gold rush, because truly they're going to be a big main event heel act. What do you do with that time? 
what do you do with that time? According to Chris Jericho, um, loads of them did the press round, so forgive me for not um, explicitly mentioning which outlet he said this to, but Chris Jericho, and he definitely did say it, I just can't remember the name of the, the outlet, said that this thing's going to rumble on and Blood and Guts is akin to opening Appetite for Destruction with Welcome to the Jungle. Mm-hmm. Like if you think Welcome to the Jungle is a banger, way to listen to Rocker Queen, you know? So this feud, in effect, is going to rumble on and on and on for quite some time. And the, I can't wait for it. Not only am I big on it, not only has it been great throughout, but how do you top blood and guts? Yeah. An explosive barbed wire war games match. I mean, I just don't know. That would be tits, actually. They should just do that. Listen, I should be a consultant for these guys. Oh, my God. Someone actually was like burying their women's division going, God, I'm, I'm down to ride for you guys. I am sure. I'm sure they're going to hire you. You can get your little clown notebook and you can write little storyline ideas on there. And yeah, you can clasp it shut and throw it in the bin. That's what you can do with that. <laughs> but yeah, um, it, from what Chris Jericho has intimated um, in the media, this is going to rumble on, but it, I just don't know how you do something better or more big time or major or blow off worthy than blood and guts, but we'll see how we get there because they're going to have to do something like that or Maybe in parallel with that, they can have like a subfeud with another babyface stable um, so it doesn't get too repetitive. Jurassic Express. Marco stunt getting killed by Wardlow for <laughs> how many months is it until full gear? May, June, July, August, September, October. We're about half a year of Wardle killing Marco Stunt <laughs> and Sammy Guevara. There's still loads of individual matches mm. they can do. They haven't they've gone through, what, one permutation mm. in a singles match? Dax Harwood, Dax Harwood versus Chris Jericho. We still haven't had FTR versus Santana and Ortiz. We still haven't had MGF versus Guevara, which we'll get to imminently. That's been built for ages. We still haven't done the non-exhibition MGF versus Chris Jericho match because the first one was like a friendly, if you like. See, it's a sporting company, dickheads. Um, so there's still loads of those permutations to go through. So they've given themselves lots and lots to work with as AEW do at large with this stable-based framework with which they book. It's just a case of how can they get it to not feel like diminishing returns? Mm. To be fair, right, for me, if you're saying, right, our FTR versus Santana and Ortiz is going to be a double or nothing, that wouldn't goddamn feel like a diminishing return to me because that's a tag team match I'm absolutely bang into. I think it would be great. But I can understand people going, oh, well, I've already seen Blood and Guts. Where can you go from here? So it's up to them to do the permutations, like in the various, like, I haven't even done uh, Spears versus Guevara is yet another example. Mm. Um, it's just up to them to gone with a massive explosion at the start. Furthering uh, Jericho's studio album analogy, what tends to happen is that you, a rock album starts with a total banger, maybe another banger, and then you do something a bit slower, maybe a ballad, and then it goes banger, 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 banger at the end. I just don't know what's a bigger banger than Blood and Guts, unless you simply do Blood and Guts 2. And why not? There was a million horsemen war games matches. Mm. Why can't there be two Blood and Guts matches? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be Big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Yeah, looking ahead in the, in the short term, is it as straightforward as having... MJF face Guevara at double or nothing for the whole because like we talked about it at the time Guevara surrendered because he bloody idolizes Chris Jericho and he, he's been his mentor and yes they had some rocky times in there but that was mainly the catalyst behind that was bloody MJF getting in there and getting in his ear so is, is it that straightforward for for MJF at double or nothing and, and what do you think else could we see at the end of this month at the pay-per-view regarding the, the pinnacle and the inner circle I would do the two matches that I most want to see in that I want to see MJF versus Sammy Guevara because we haven't seen that one-on-one match yet. And it will be great because Sammy Guevara is like this incredibly exciting baby face who was stunning doing like modern baby face stuff in that blood and guts match. MJF is the perfect counterpart to ground him. What about MJF's work in a singles match? And we've seen precious little of it, but that's another point I'll get to imminently. Is that, I like it when he gets so infuriated when he gets sort of outworked or outsmarted, as he should as the heel, by a baby face, that he starts doing like really modern, crazy stuff. Like he'll take a Poison Rana or he'll take a Canadian Destroyer. He'll basically get so pissed off that in the story of a match that he'll eventually do like the modern big bump and stuff that his character says he would never deign to do. It's a beautiful way of having his cake and eat it too doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for that because people are too focused on bollocks when they're trying to analyze pro wrestling so i think it would be 
a very, very, very good match, even a great match on the undercard of Double or Nothing in the vein of MJF versus Jungle Boy. Like a exactly. similar dynamic, except this one's probably got way more of a charged emotional current to it because MJF and Sammy Guevara have been like in conflict for like months and months at this point. It'd be a really, really well-built mid-card match of the likes of which AEW are just stunning at. Um, so that's what I would like to see at Double or Nothing. That's like your best chance of a great match within this inner circle versus pinnacle deal. Your other one is FTR versus Santana and Ortiz. Ortiz. Do you do them both on the same show? Yes, why not? It's a pay-per-view when you've got to sell it. So I would do those two matches. Um, Absolutely. And one of the reasons, sorry, I forgot to make this point earlier when we were talking about the weight for MGF to rack up loads of singles wins is that as has been like really quite well welcome um, this year, because it's been really focused on as a storyline driver, is that wins and losses matter in this company. So I know that I want to see more MGF work in singles matches, but he has to win because he's a top heel. But the more he wins, the closer he gets to the title, and that complicates that picture. Mm-hmm. So I think that's yet another reason, not just Chris Jericho said so, but another reason why we'll continue this faction war in some form because you can't have MGF win too many matches willy-nilly on Dynamite <laughs> because that complicates the title picture. In terms of the inner circle then, how do they pick themselves up from this? We'll get to Chris Jericho in due course, but mm-hmm. yeah, in the coming weeks on Dynamite, it's going to be fascinating to see how they do it because as much as, you know, saw it when they, they did the, the, the parlay, they all have stuff to say. Jericho was the figurehead and he's for the time being no more. How do they sort of pick themselves up from this? Um, that's fascinating. And it's the kind of thing that I couldn't personally book. Mm. So I find it hard to do so on this podcast right now. Um, if you're all in a circle, in terms of storylines, you've been beaten. So you're licking your wounds. Maybe you're feeling a bit introspective about it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like Sammy Guevara would rather lose a match in the headspace he's at right now than see like his mentor get effectively maimed at Blood and Guts, even though it didn't look like it. You know what I mean? That's essentially what they've tried to do. Um, They'll still go on as a unit, but the lack of a Chris Jericho being there means that they'll have all the steam going into these prospective sub-matches, if you like, at um, double or nothing. I don't think there'll be any tease yet of a split, but they will be like rudderless and the pinnacle will get loads and loads of heat on them, I think. Leading to, Wilborn, your next question and the big comeback spot I have in mind. Just briefly before we get there, I just popped in because we were heaping praise on him in recent weeks. And as much as, you know, Sammy Guevara may well be the heir apparent to that, you know, inner circle throne, but Santana step up because I, we talked about him the other week and I thought he was, it just transformed his character and he has does, done so on Dynamite and AEW in, in recent weeks and months in, to, a fan, to really open people's eyes who maybe were less aware of what, what he can achieve. I think Santana's got top babyface potential. Yeah. That's, an, that's legitimately another full-length podcast we could put in the back pocket. Santana is so great at cutting promos. He's so great at getting over this kind of the word I'm looking for here. He's like admirable, hard upbringing he's had, mm-hmm. 
comes off as a badass, can flat out go in the ring. He just projects this sort of, not unlike John Moxley quality, mm-hmm. where yeah, he's a badass, but like you just think the world of him. Like very easy to root for Santana, um, is I guess the way I can describe. But but I still think there's so much that they can do with Santana and Ortiz as a unit that I'm not thinking yet of Santana in that role. But if you look at the stuff that Santana, this is an incidental point that we'll cover in depth. I'm sure at a later date. He pitched the eye thing um, for the eye for an eye match, which I thought was such a lovely compliment to the big story between Jericho and Moxley. And he was the first one to say, to have the idea, right, I'm getting heat on Sue. Look how beloved she is. Yeah. It would be amazing if someone gets heat on her. Can I just destroy a van? And that all led to the parking lot brawl. I think they've got not just a top star, but a booker in Santana. Yeah, great brain on him. Yeah, absolutely. That's by the by. Uh, so yeah, Chris Jericho's return is is the the, the 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 thing on the horizon for the inner circle that may potentially salvage their stable and, and like you say, reignite this feud even more so with the pinnacle. How do you see it happening? Or how would you would you like to see it happening? I don't want to see it next week, obviously. <laughs> I don't want to see it the week after. Um, I understand that there's a pay-per-view to sell. There might be a temptation to do MGF versus Chris Jericho at that pay-per-view. I wouldn't do it. Um, Cody's missed one before. Has he? Has Cody missed? Yeah, he missed all out. Yeah. And that still did a strong buy without one of the established main events set. And I'm, I know Chris Jericho is a huge draw and a huge, he's the demo god. But maybe he could miss one pay-per-view, particularly when the storyline dictates that he probably should. But in my fantasy book in here, he doesn't quite miss the pay-per-view because I think at the end of MGF versus Sammy Guevara, MJF wins via chicanery, pile on with the inner circle and the pinnacle. The pinnacle have the advantage because there's five on four because Chris Jericho's still like hospitalized or looking his wounds somewhere. To add an extra dimension to this feud and to refresh Chris Jericho's character, Chris Jericho always says he likes to come back as something else. Mm-hmm. Like a new, even if it's not a new persona, obviously, obviously he's worked under several, but he said, um, on the Broken Skull sessions or something, some way, he's been talking a lot, that it was his idea that his idea to have the inner circle come back in black because they feel like a new, fresh unit with a new direction, a new purpose. If not the rain, uh, the pain maker for the post-match comeback, he should come back as a character like that. To be fair, it's not like Y2J where for the last however many years he saw him in WWE, he was like, yeah, what was that say, Chris Jericho, bored of the sack. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that much of the Painmaker. In we've seen it once in AEW. We've seen it every time he's been in New Japan, but he's just a big match guy there, a great one, but like a special attraction performer. What I'm getting at is that if he was to come back as the Painmaker, it would have an aura of oh, this is like the absolutely unhinged Chris Jericho who will tell people off, who will drink vodka, cutting promos. Like it, he feels like the craziest version of Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. And that's one way of escalating this conflict, having just done blood and guts. So I'd have Chris Jericho return in the post-match of Guevara MGF at double or nothing under the pain maker persona. Yeah, because, you know, I've, I've written this as like a, the end of the inner circle, but it, it really isn't, is it? It's, it's just a, uh, a step back before they take a step forward, effectively, isn't it, for this, this group? 
Yeah, absolutely. If you look again at the permutations of the win-loss records of the next phases of the respective title pictures from heel to baby, there's going to be another continuation of this feud. And that means that the inner circle have to remain intact to participate in it. Just the key question is how on earth do you follow blood and guts? And maybe you do yeah. blood and guts too, because as I said, you know, they've built so much currency with not doing too many rematches that Christ, why not do another one of these? It was great. And let's be realistic. It could have gone even better. So absolutely. They should do that. And you can have the shoe on the other foot in terms of, uh, MJF offering them out and sort of saying, you know, what if you really want to see this off, he faces in there once before. We all know how that turned out. Let's have it, have it all over again, sort of thing. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's really exciting for, for both groups coming off the back of this. And uh, I saw someone tweeting us a while back about Jericho getting another run at the world title. Would you think that they are going to steer clear from that? Because I I feel like maybe the TNT Championship eventually down the line, like you say, you, you and I could probably plot it out for the next six months to a year uh, over the who's going to ha- handle it next. And it may not involve Chris Jericho, but yeah. What do you reckon to, because people said, Oh, it'd be nice to have a baby face Chris Jericho as world champion. I don't think that's the direction they're going to go in. What do you think? Um, it's not something I see in his immediate or even medium term future. If I'm honest, I see going from Omega to page to MJF to maybe Darby Allen. Yeah. If we're, if we're talking, if we're just spitballing, in terms of like the next year or two of AWTV. TNT, I think Chris Jericho, it, w- it wouldn't feel like a demotion because they've done such a fantastic job of handling that belt. Yeah. Um, and Chris Jericho could conceivably get a good heel over to have him win it. Like he'd be a good um, gatekeeper champion, I think, more than a top baby face star. At this point, like he is a top baby face star, it's Chris Jericho, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's a particular appetite to see Chris Jericho do another six month title run, but as a baby face, I just don't see a big clamor for it, you know. Uh, finally, before we wrap things up here, uh, three weeks today when this podcast comes out, uh, it is going to be double or nothing. Two matches sort of announced. Kenny Omega versus either Pac Orange Cassidy uh, and Ikara Shida versus Britt Baker. How are you feeling about it? It's mad to think that they've got this. Because like you say, it feels like we had a pay-per-view this week, which we effectively did, but it was on TV. Mad to think that one of the big four is coming up in, in 21 days' time. Oh, Christ, I. Um, I'm going to keep my thoughts on this incredibly brief, right? Because, let's face it, there's content in this doing it for a podcast next week. And only yes. look at the <laughs> Baker, Shida, all that announced. Well, announced. Box and Kingston versus the Young Bucks looks to be the direction, um, given that Omega has his direction set finally. I hope they'll go falls count anywhere or something like that. Anyway, I would do Omega Cassidy. Like Omega Pack. Like Cassidy's more of a draw than Pack. Mm-hmm. I think I prefer watching Pack. I love Cassidy, but I just think. Omega Cassidy is something we've not seen. It's a tremendous dynamic. It's something that realistically could get a good number. That's what I would do. Um, so those are the three key title matches. MJF Guevara, FTR versus Santana and Ortiz. Um, me and Murray were debating whether we're going to see Cody versus a go-go as a singles, mm-hmm. or if you look at the fact that there's an actual other stable war ongoing between the 
family in the factory. And if you look at what AEW do, they foreshadow things. We've seen bull ropes involved in those brawls. We've seen wooden chairs. They could do a family versus factory four and four bunkhouse. Oh, I'd love to see that. I would love to see that. Um, Christian Cage versus Ricky Starks. Or Christian Cage versus Brian Cage with Starks being the TV match to build it. I think I'd prefer Cage versus Starks on the pay-per-view, if I'm honest. Uh, Christian Cage versus Starks on the pay-per-view, that is. And where does Hangman Page fit in? Or does he? Does he get one win back to like hint towards, right, okay, well, he's getting a big win on pay-per-view or like a, you know, a reasonably strong win on pay-per-view because he's going to be challenging for the big one at the next. There's loads they can do. And I hope, I really hope, we'll get into this, I hope they don't do some multi-man ladder bollocks that the way people gained entry into the match made no sense and the match itself just mm. miscast people who should and shouldn't be in a ladder match. So, yeah, what I want from Revolution, just to sign off, and we'll go into this more in depth again on a future podcast, I'm sure, next week, is a less gimmick match-heavy pay-per-view, less multi-man match-heavy pay-per-view. I've reached a point now with the interferences and the amount of brawls and stuff we see on Dynamite where I kind of want to see a nice, streamlined, eight-man, eight-match or nine-match card of action where nothing goes too long and it's wrestling heavy. Mm, and I yeah. think the fact that they're doing it in front of crowds lends itself to that. There's no need now to do all this pandemic era, overcompensating with gimmicks, yeah, etc. Why not, when crowds are back, start almost anew, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, just recalibrate everything, put the emphasis on a lot of straight matches with clean finishes because then if that gets a little bit, oh, well, I missed the barbed wire and the blood and guts, you've conditioned your audience to think just normal great wrestling is great again and you can build from that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was just thinking there as you were talking about Hangman Page, the idea of seeing a shot of him looking forlorn in the crowd watching whoever it is, whether it be Pac or Orange Cassidy, charge for the world title and effectively thinking... No, if I'd lost to Brian Cage, that'd have been me. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think I could handle that. I genuinely don't think I could. Uh, but they're probably going to do it because they love toying with our emotions. But yes, very exciting times over the next few weeks for AEW, particularly for the Pinnacle and the Inner Circle. Let us know your thoughts on all the fallout from Blood and Guts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick, that's M-S-I-D-G-W-I-C-K. I always got Mams and Sedgwick. People, people want to, people, people are typing in Sedgwick on Twitter. There's, I'm sure there's like 20,000 people on Twitter. It's Sedgwick, not Sedgwick, okay? You'll find me. You will find me. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can go back and listen to our Blood and Guts review from earlier on in the week, right now. And next week, we'll, of course, do previews and reviews for AEW Dynamite as well but for now this has been get the table my thanks to michael sidgwick thank you for joining us and we will see you soon hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.